0: Is, is red zone. Okay. So first off, before I get started on my sermon, don't start my clock yet, okay? Um, it, in the book of 1 Samuel chapter 23, I'm not going to read it, but it talks about how David, hey, they were fighting the Philistines and he was he just made a simple request that he wanted some water from a certain well. And it talks about how three of David's men, they were so dedicated to David that they just went and got that for him. So Today, let me look at my notes here. So, October, as you know very well, is Pastor Appreciation Month, and we have something for the pastor today. But first, I just want to say something real quick. That through the rest of the month of October, I know there's like eight days left or something like that. But if you see something or you think about something that the pastor and even Pastor Joel would would would. would you think, fine, you think they'd appreciate and you just want to do it because you respect them and you're glad that they're leading us, if you see something like that, I just want to challenge you. Go ahead and do that. Even just go up to them and say, hey, I'm really glad you're the pastor. You know, I, I respect you a lot and you mean a lot to me. So if I could today, I just want to have uh, Pastor Andrew and then Pastor Joel come up to the stage, please, if you would. This is a bit of a surprise, I know. <laughs> And then TJ and Matthew, if you guys would come up as well, the church has a gift for you guys, so we just wanted to give that to you tonight. We just want to tell you how grateful we are. Why don't we give them a round of applause? We do appreciate them serving here at our church. Okay, now we can get started with the sermon. You can start the timer. Alrighty, so tonight I'm going to be bringing you a sermon that's entitled, Seek Ye First. It's it's not very hard to guess where my passage of Scripture is. Turn to the book of Matthew chapter 6 here. Matthew chapter 6, and we're going to start reading in verse number 31. I'll just jump into it here. It says, Therefore take no thought, saying, What shall we eat, or what shall we drink? Or wherewithal shall we be clothed? For after these things do the Gentiles seek... For your heavenly Father knoweth that ye have need of all these things. But seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added unto you. In verse 33 there, it says, Seek ye first. Now that means at the forefront of your mind, before all else, and above all else. Seek ye first. Now the end of verse 33, all these things shall be added unto you, that's conditional. We see that at the beginning. But seek ye first the kingdom of God. Then all these things shall be added unto you. First of all, I want you to notice three things. But first of all, Seek ye first the kingdom of God. Now the kingdom of God I define as the things of God or the will of God. And the will of God first is for you to be saved. Now salvation is extremely simple. First of all, the thing you have to do, you have to know you're a sinner. That shouldn't be hard for anybody. You know, I don't think there's anybody here who would be like, no, I'm not a sinner. I've never done a bad thing, never thought a bad thought. That's not hard for anybody. So that's very simple. First step, you have to know you're a sinner. Second thing you have to do is know you can't save yourself. Again, this is extremely simple. You cannot save yourself. You just have to know that. So we're at the first two steps. We're almost halfway done. Has this gotten complex for anybody yet? Okay, good. The third thing you have to do is know that God can and will save you if only you ask him to. That's called faith, which is defined as belief without seeing. I just want to give an illustration of that. If I took one of these chairs here, I brought it to the edge. I stood on the chair, and I jumped off. I have faith, absolute 100% confidence. I'd land on the floor, on a chair, or maybe on a person. Now, I've never tried that, and I won't tonight, but I have faith that that is what will happen. You say, that's really simple. It's called gravity. Well, guess what? Salvation is really simple, too. Almost as simple as that. Oh, it is as simple as that. Sorry. And then the fourth thing you have to do is ask God to save you and then believe that he has after you ask him. The Bible says, Whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. This is what God wants you to do first. The second thing is... Go ye into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. Now, the second point tonight, you have to seek his righteousness. Righteousness is acting in accord with moral or divine law. The divine law here is God's word. This means follow the Bible, which again says to spread the gospel. So follow the Bible first, keep it, uh, keep it above all and at the forefront of your mind. I'm just going to quickly turn over the book of 1 Chronicles chapter 28, and we're going to read in verse 8. Now therefore, the sight of all Israel and the congregation of the Lord and in the audience of our God, keep and seek for all the commandments of the Lord your God, that you may possess this good land and leave it for an inheritance for your children after you forever. So, it says to seek and keep the commandments of the Lord your God. So, seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. Then the third thing is, all these things shall be added unto you. God will give you what you need to stay strong spiritually, physically, mentally, and emotionally. Even if you'll notice... In Matthew chapter six, verse 25, it talks about God it talks about excuse me, it talks about God providing you with what you need. And again, in verse 31, in Philippians 4:19, it says, "But my God shall supply all your need according to His riches and glory by Christ Jesus. Now God loves you and He wants to be with you. He's not somebody who wants to destroy you and stomp on you when you fall. He wants to stretch out his arm and help you when you fall and stumble, and he wants to walk with you every day. So, in conclusion, remember, spread God's word, keep him first, salvation is simple, God loves you, stand strong in the faith, seek ye first the kingdom of God, and all these things shall be added unto you. Next we'll have Luke come up and preach.
1: Is it the Which one? Okay. Um So my sermon today will be entitled to count for Jesus. I am time restrained, so I'm just going to jump right into it. Turn to Philippians 3.7. Philippians 3.7. Philippians was written by Paul towards the end of his life. He's looking back. He's writing to the, book of, he's writing to the church of Philippi. Philippians 3.7. Well, what things were gained to me, those I counted lost for Christ? Yea, doubtless, and I count all things but loss for the excellency of knowledge of Christ Jesus, my Lord, through whom I have suffered the loss of all things, and do count them but dung, that I may win Christ, and be found in Him, not having mine own righteousness, which is of the law, but, the, but that which is through the faith of Christ, the righteousness which is of God by faith. Jump down to verse 14. I press toward the mark for the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. Paul reveals his whole purpose in life in these verses. Count for Jesus. Um, some of us may have heard the song entitled to "Count for Jesus." I'm just going to read a short part of that. All want their lives to count for something, to leave their mark when life is through. But vain pursuit will count for nothing. Time will erase whatever we do. I want my life to count for Jesus. For earthly things will quickly fade. No need to add to worldly riches. I only seek eternal gain. The first point of my message will be purpose in life. What is your purpose in life? What is your goal? What are you striving for? Money, fame knowledge, something that will last after you are gone? And what would that be? It is all empty. It is all nothing. It is void. Um, Solomon, King Solomon, had all of these things. He was the richest man on earth. He was the wisest man on earth. He built many things long after his time that still stood. And yet, we see in the book of Ecclesiastes that he was empty, even today. Solomon today is not heard of. Many people don't even know he existed. Many people don't even know who he is. Um, turn Turn to the book of Ecclesiastes. Ecclesiastes 1. Ecclesiastes was written by Solomon toward the end of his life as he's looking back towards his life. The words of the preacher, the son of David, king in Jerusalem. The vanity of vanities, saith the preacher. Vanity of vanities, all is vanity. What profit hath, hath a man of all his labor, which he taketh under the sun? One generation passeth away, and another generation cometh. But the, but the earth abideth forever. Jump down to verse 8. All things are full of labor. Man cannot utter it. The eye is not satisfied with seeing, nor the ear filled with hearing. The things that have been is that that which shall be. And that which is done is that which shall be done, and there is no new thing under the sun. Is there anything whereof it may be said, See, this is new. It hath already been done of old time, and that which was before us. Jump down to verse 13. And I gave my heart to seek and search out by wisdom concerning all things that are done under heaven. This sore travail hath God given to the sons of man to be exercised therewith. I have seen all the works that are done under the heaven, and behold, all is vanity and vexation of spirit. The whole book of Ecclesiastes is Solomon talking about how the world is empty, how it is all vanity. Solomon lived an empty life. He worked his whole life to gain earthly, to gain earthly things, and none of it stayed with him. It all quickly vanished. I think we all fall short in this, in this area that points. We all put something above God that should be below him. And when we do this, we lose purpose in life. Look at the difference between King, King Solomon and Paul. Solomon ended his life looking back with regret, but Paul ended his life looking forward to the prize set before him. The second point is loss for Christ. The world may think that it is foolish to give our lives for God, but look at the world. It is empty, and they are desperately looking for happiness. I believe, I believe the Apostle Paul lived one of the most successful lives a man can live. Think about the amount of people he had an impact on. Silas, Barnabas, all the churches he started, all the people that those churches had an impact on. And my third point as I'm wrapping up is to press toward the mark. What are you doing for God? Are, are you pressing toward the mark? Romans twelve one to 4 says, I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice. Holy and acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. And be not conformed unto this world, but be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. For I say, through the grace given unto me, to me, to every man among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think. It is our reasonable duty to serve God. We cannot repay God for all he has done. But the least we could do is give our lives for him. If you are not pressing to the mark, the, your life is at vanity. But if you are pressing to the mark, God can mold you into what he needs you to be. I will have Brian Stensis come and preach next.
2: Hello, everybody. If you don't know my name, Luke just said it. it's Brian Stensis. <clears throat> um, if you have your Bible, turn with me to First Samuel 16. The title of this message is Following the Lord. When you accept Jesus, you become a Christian, but that is not all there is to the Christian life. Once you become a Christian, that is only the beginning. Now we are to follow the Lord and serve him faithfully as we grow in our Christian life. Sadly, most Christians think that's all there is to the Christian life. They come to church and everything, like a lot of them come to church, but their mind is like somewhere else. Don't be like that, Christian. We need to be following the Lord. There is someone in the Bible I'd like to bring up. Look in 1 Samuel 16, starting in verse 1. And the Lord said unto Samuel, How long wilt thou mourn for Saul, seeing I have rejected him from reigning over Israel? Fill thine horn with oil and go. I will send thee to Jesse, the Bethlehemite, for I have provided me a king among his sons. In verse 1, it's talking about Samuel mourning about Saul rejecting God. Chapter 15 is about Saul disobeying the Lord's command to kill Agag and all the Amalekites, their cattle. And he did kill all the Amalekites, but he kind of kept the cattle and the king for himself. Samuel had to end up killing King Agag because Saul would not do it. When Saul chose not to follow the Lord, He took his kingdom away. Always follow the Lord, and you will be blessed. From verse 2 through 10, it's talking about Samuel going through all of Jesse's sons to be picked for king. God tells Samuel that none of these men are the chosen one. Look in verses 11 through 13. And Samuel said unto Jesse, Are here all thy children? And he said, There remaineth yet the youngest, and behold, he keepeth the sheep. And Samuel said unto Jesse, Send and fetch him, for we will not sit down till he come hither. And he sent and brought him in. Now he was ready and with all of a beautiful countenance and goodly to look to. And the Lord said, Arise, anoint him, for this is he. Samuel looks at David and asks God if he is the one. And the Lord says that he is. David, when he was a shepherd, followed the Lord wholeheartedly and served him. In his spare time, he wrote songs, which were pretty much like songs and prayers. He also studied the scriptures, which were the first five books of the Old Testament. He also spent much time praying. David was blessed, and later became king over Israel. But this story is not about the story of David. This is about what David did. This is about what David did to follow the Lord. The first way we see David following the Lord is in prayer. Psalm sixty one, one through two says, Hear my cry, O God, attend unto my prayer. From the end of the earth will I cry unto thee. When my heart is overwhelmed, lead me to the rock that is higher than I. Many of David's Psalms are about him praying and rejoicing to the Lord. Paul says in Romans 12:12, 12, 12, rejoicing in hope, patient in tribulation, continuing instant in prayer. When we are struggling and can't think of what to do, pray, and God will show you. Sometimes God won't always answer the way you want or, or when he wants to, but God has a purpose and a plan for everything. A way to help us pray is to make a list of everything we need to pray for, and throughout the day or the beginning of the day, pray, even while you're driving, except don't close your eyes. We don't really want anything bad to happen. The second way we see David following the Lord is by reading the Bible and studying it. Prayer is how we talk to God, but reading the Bible is one way God talks to us. Psalms 1, 1 1-2 says, Blessed is the man that walketh not, but his delight is in the law of the Lord, and in his law doth he meditate day and night. 2 Timothy 2.15 Study to show thyself approved unto God, a workman that thinketh not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. We should not just read the Bible, but study it. Dead, meditate on it day and night. The word meditate means to think deeply or focus one's mind for a period of time. The last thing we're going to see in David's life is that he died to self. Matthew 16, 24 says, Then said Jesus unto his disciples, If any man will come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. Matthew 19, 21, Jesus said unto him, If thou wilt be perfect, go and sell that thou hast and give to the poor, and thou shalt have treasure in heaven, and come and follow me. To die to self means to get the worldly things out of your life and let Jesus in. I hope you'll remember these three things. Prayer, study, and reading the Bible to help you, too, to follow the Lord. Thank you. Um, and I'll have Brian now to come up and preach. If
3: you have your Bibles with you, turn me to, with me to Psalms chapter number 34. Psalms chapter number 34. Good to be in the Lord's house today, amen? Amen. Psalms chapter number 34. Psalms chapter 34, and we'll read verse number 11. Psalms 34, verse number 11. The Bible says, Come ye children, hearken unto me. I will teach you the fear of the Lord. Today I want to talk about that phrase, the fear of the Lord. Before we begin, though, let's pray and ask God to bless the message. Father, I thank you for this day that you've given to us, and I thank you for the opportunity you've given me to um, come up here and preach. Um, just help me to not get in the way and give the words you'd have me to speak. Um, bless your word as it goes forth. Help it to land on fertile ground. We love you, Lord. It's in your name that we pray. Amen. So it says, I will teach you the fear of the Lord. Today I want to talk about that phrase, the fear of the Lord. Um, you hear it many times throughout the word of God. What does that? There's three questions I want to answer today. First of all, what is the fear of the Lord? Secondly, what does the fear of the Lord cause in our lives? And thirdly, what does the fear of the Lord bring to our lives? So, first of all, what is the fear of the Lord? Um, the word fear in this phrase, most of the time we think of the word fear, we think of being afraid or being scared of something. While that is a little bit of what this word fear means, it's not exactly what it means. Um, the word fear here refers more to a moral reverence, to morally reverence the Lord. You can break the word reverence down even further to, you, to the word respect. So, we're talking about a moral respect of the Lord in this. And you see, that, see this phrase all throughout the scripture. Um, so now we know what the fear of the Lord is. What, so now what does it cause in our lives? I'm going to spend a little more time on these two points. Um, so what does the fear of the Lord cause in our lives? So um, as an example of this, I have a fear of my dad, not a um, scared fear of my dad, but I have a fear, I have a respect of my dad. Um, I know that I can't always do what I want to do because there's certain things that I need to do that he's told me to do. And if I don't do them, I'm going to, bad things are going to happen. So, um, so that is the, in the same way we should be fearing the Lord the same way. When we know who God is, that he is a merciful, loving, gracious God, but also a just God that must punish sin, we will, it will cause us to change what we are doing. The fear of the Lord will cause a change in our actions. Look in Psalms thirty-four 11. We'll read a few verses down from there. Come, you children, hearken to me. I will teach you the fear of the Lord. What man is he that desireth life and loveth many days that he may see good? Keep thy tongue from evil and thy lips from speaking guile. Depart from evil and do good. Seek peace and pursue it. This is passage saying, hey, you want to know the fear of the Lord? Verse 13. Keep thy tongue from evil and thy lips from speaking guile. Depart from evil and do good. Seek peace and pursue it. God says, you want to know the fear of the Lord? Do what I say. Um, turn over to Proverbs chapter number 8. We'll be there for the rest of the message. Proverbs chapter 8. We see another good example here in Proverbs 8. Proverbs chapter number 8 and verse number 13. Proverbs chapter 8, verse number 13. The Bible says, The fear of the Lord is to hate evil, pride, and arrogancy, and the evil way, and the froward mouth do I hate. So it says, what is the fear of the Lord? It is to hate evil. Now, a good example of this maybe is... um, if you know me at all, I'm a big Ohio State Buckeyes fan. And if you know anything about the Buckeyes, you know there's one thing we all hate, and it's that team up north they call Michigan. Um, and, it's, and there's nothing wrong with having a passion for your team and a passion against another team and all. Um, we can have some good fun with that, but do we have that same passion for the things of God? Where is that passion for the things of God? Do we truly um, hate evil the way God says God says we are to hate evil. The fear of the Lord is to hate evil. He said the fear of the Lord is to depart from evil. God says don't get near it, run away from it. Yet many times, what do we do as Christians? We say, oh, I'm not going to do it, but you know, I might get a little close and all. You know, I'm not actually doing it, but you know, there's nothing, I'm not going to run away from it. When you truly hate something, you want to get as far away from it as possible. The fear of the Lord is to hate evil. If you truly, Christian, do you hate evil today? Thirdly, Fear. thirdly, so the fear of the Lord, so we know what the fear of the Lord is, we've, what, we've figured out what the fear of the Lord causes. Thirdly, what does the fear of the Lord bring to our lives? Look over it in Proverbs chapter 9, verse number 10, just, um, you probably don't, some of you might not even have to turn a page. Proverbs 9, verse number 10 this says, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, and the knowledge of holy is the understanding, um, what does the fear of the Lord bring to our lives? It will bring wisdom. When you respect someone, when you reverence someone, you will know that they know more than you do, and you will go to them for advice and counsel. But God has more wisdom and knowledge than any person in this world does. He knows everything about every situation at any time, and he's even willing to give you that wisdom. Um, James 1.5 says, If any of you lack wisdom, let him ask of God, which to all men liberally, and abradeth not, and it shall be given him. God said, hey, I will give you all the wisdom you need when you need it, as much as you need it. But yet many times, Christians, we don't even use it. We don't even call on God for wisdom. Many times we're in a difficult situation and we look to others, we look to the world for our answer. There's nothing wrong with talking to other people for advice. God even says seek godly counsel. But we should be seeking the Lord first and foremost. Um, So let me ask you today, Christian, do you truly fear the Lord? Do you truly hate evil and love what is good? When there's a difficult situation in life, is prayer your answer to that problem? Or do you always look to what he said or what she said? The fear of the Lord is to hate evil. And the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. Thank you. And I'm going to ask Brian to come up and lead us in another song.
4: It's, yep, yeah, it's on. There. Okay. So... I would like to talk to you about standing firm on biblical promises. Turn in your Bibles to Isaiah 9-6. Isaiah 9-6. And Isaiah is a book of um, prophecy for the future. And here we see... All right. Isaiah chapter 9, verse number 6. It says, For Unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, the Mighty God, the Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. So... Here we see the very first promise um, that we're going to look at today, and that is the promise of the Son of God to come. Um, Have you ever been promised something along the lines of, um, if you do this, we get to do this later, and you just go off and play or do something, and it seems like it's been forever and a day, and it, it ends up that it's only been 10 minutes. So you have to wait a little longer. Just imagine what the people before the birth of Jesus were feeling. That, you know, is this guy ever going to come? I mean, all these prophets have told us that this is going to come. When is it going to happen? Um, and be, imagine just the impatience that, that they had. I'm not a parent. But I have siblings, and if they are younger, they usually ask lots of questions. So if I was a prophet, and I would be feeling all these questions, there would probably be a lot of them as to when timelines and stuff would come. So um, you have all that to deal with. And then here we see promise number two of salvation. Um, Turn to John 3.16. This is a pretty familiar verse, um, and one of the most popular and famous verses of the Bible, Um, John chapter 3, verse number 16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. Here we see promise number two, which is salvation. The first two promises go together because we we wouldn't have salvation if we didn't have Jesus. Isn't it amazing that someone so perfect came and died on the cross for our sins? Not only that, but he did so that we might live with him forever. Okay? Um... Turn with me to First Thessalonians four, First Thessalonians four, chapter number, yeah, chapter number four, verse sixteen. For God, um, for the Lord himself shall descend from heaven with his shout, with the voice of the archangel. And with the trump of God, and the dead in Christ shall rise first. Then which we are then we which are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds, to meet the Lord in the air, and and so shall we ever be with the Lord. In this passage we see our last promise, the return of Jesus. Not only were we promised the Savior to come, and through him eternal life, but Jesus also promised us that he would return someday and take us to heaven to be with him forever. Moving to application, God put us on this earth to further his kingdom, and he gave us these verses for our salvation so we would tell others and lead them to salvation. Our time on earth is limited. Are we doing all that we can to tell others about Jesus to further his kingdom? Are we encouraging others to stand on the promises of the Bible? As, as I finish up, if there is anyone here today that does not know Christ as their person or Savior, I encourage you to go find someone here at the church that could walk you through how to be saved so that you know that one day heaven is your home. Um, let's pray. Dear, dear Lord, we just thank you for this day. Thank you for all these preachers that I've preached and brought the word to us, and thank you for all the young people here that have um, played a part in the service, Lord. And we pray that you would help us stand firm on the biblical promise, Lord, biblical promises, Lord, and that you would help us to um, just take what we know and to share your word with others, Lord. And um, that when we get to heaven, that we would hear well done thou good and faithful servant lord and i pray that you would bless the rest of the service lord and um just be with the rest of the preachers and the people to follow the lord and i ask this all in your precious name amen and i will ask matthew plank to come up and preach
5: me and your Bibles to John chapter 3 tonight, John chapter 3, tonight I want to speak to you on a very simple subject, and that is exposing the lies of, okay, when I say exposing the lies of salvation, I mean lies people believe. That certain things save. And I'll tell you tonight, friend, there is only one way to heaven, and it is simply through Jesus Christ. So if you would turn with me to John chapter 3, we'll be reading the first 16 verses. John chapter 3, beginning in verse number 1. The Bible says, There was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. The same came to Jesus by night and said unto him, Rabbi, we know that thou art a teacher come from God, for no man can do these miracles that thou doest except God be with him. is spirit. Marvel not that I said unto thee, ye must be born again. The wind bloweth where it listeth, and thou hearest the sound thereof, but canst not tell whence it cometh, and whither it goeth. So is every one that is born of the Spirit. Nicodemus answered and said unto him, how can these things be? Jesus answered and said unto him, art thou a master of Israel, and knowest not these things? Verily, verily, I say unto thee, we speak that we do know, and we test and testify that that we have seen, and ye receive not our witness. If I had told you earthly things, and ye believe not, how shall ye believe, if I tell you of heavenly things? And no man hath ascended up to heaven, but he that came down from heaven, even the Son of Man which is in heaven. And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have eternal life. Verse 16, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. Let's pray. Father God, I ask tonight that you would do what only you can do, that you would convict these people of their need for you if they have not received you yet. God, I pray you take your word and drive it into their hearts. Lord, use me as a vessel. Lord, I pray only you would be seen tonight. And I thank you for all you've done for us. Thank you for sending your son, Jesus, to die on the cross and rise from the grave. And Lord, I just pray if anyone's in here who doesn't know you, I pray they receive you today. And we ask these things all in Jesus' name, the only name who can save. Amen. So the first, three, the first four verses, or verses 3 through 4, you're going to see Jesus mentioned being born again. Now Nicodemus, when he heard this, What comes to mind and what would come to our mind, we know the whole story, so we know how it ends. But what came to his mind was actually being born again. So if Nicodemus actually took Jesus at what he literally said, imagine him going to his mother and saying, Hey, mom, can you give birth to me just one more time, Jesus? I mean, God told me to do it. Can you just we'll go to the doctor and we'll see what happens. But no, see, Jesus, that's not his point. He is speaking of a spiritual birth. That has to occur in our life to enter into the kingdom of heaven. Then you notice verses 5 through 6. Jesus mentions in verses 5 through 6, Jesus answered, Verily, verily, I say unto thee, except a man be born of water and of the Spirit, he cannot enter into the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. Firstly, I want you to notice tonight the false views of salvation. Many people take this passage of Scripture and assume to be born again, to enter into the kingdom of God, to see it, to be saved. You've got to be baptized. Now, baptism is biblical. It's right. And it's true. But that occurs after someone is born again, after someone receives Christ. So you have that physical birth and then you have that spiritual birth that takes place when one believes on Christ. Now the same with works. Many people assume to enter into the kingdom of God. You've got to be good. Now being good is great. Living a good godly Christian life is great, but that good godly Christian life will not get you into heaven. The Bible says, for by grace are ye saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. Jesus never said, hey, if you're good enough, I'll let you in. He said, believe in John three sixteen that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. Salvation is free for the person receiving it, but it was not free for the one buying it. Jesus paid the price, he gave his life. So we could be saved. God sent his son Jesus into the world to save us. Jesus came on a rescue mission. He did not come on a vacation to get from the... to get away from the responsibility of being God. He came. He became flesh. He was born of a virgin. He didn't have some great birth. He was born in a stable. He lived a perfect and sinless life. And at one point in his life. A woman anointed his body with ointment. Well you say Matthew what was that done for? That was done for Jesus' burial. So you say Well, he die? Yes he did die. He died in our place on a cross. It was much more big and rugged than that one we have hanging up. And He gave His life for you and for me. The Bible says, For I delivered unto you first of all that which I also received, how that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures, and that He was buried, and that He rose again the third day according to the Scriptures. You see, Jesus gave His life for our sins... Because Matthew Plank isn't a perfect sacrifice. Matthew Plank isn't perfect and neither are you. And on our own we can't get to heaven. And that's why we need a savior. A person who needs a savior needs to be saved from something. And that something would be sin. That something would be hell. And the fact of the matter. If we decide to push Christ aside. If you decide to reject Christ. There's a place called hell. And when you die. If you decide to reject Christ. Or if you don't hear about him. You will go to hell and you will suffer. But I remember. I remember. My dad used to do the bus ministries a long time ago, and I was sitting in a bus, and there was this little boy, and he said, I'm going to hell, I'm going to hell, and me being six years old, I didn't know much to say, so I was like, you're not going to hell. And he was like, my daddy's going to hell, I'm going to hell. And so, it's not, you don't have to go. There's a choice in it when you hear the gospel. And for everyone, you don't have to go to hell, there's a choice there. But let me tell you this. You can become a child of God. You can have your sins forgiven tonight if you simply come to a moment where you see you're a sinner. The Bible says, for all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. None of us are perfect. I'm not perfect. Billy Graham wasn't perfect. I mean, all these big time preachers, and I love all of them, they weren't perfect. Everybody, no matter who you are, what you've done, we're in need of Jesus Christ and his saving power. All these things such as sin, the lying, the stealing, the cheating, all these things are sin and we're all guilty of them. And we're all in need of a savior. Nicodemus had a choice. And at one, point, at one point, Nicodemus decided to believe on Christ. Now, I may not know your heart tonight. I may not know where you stand out with God. And I may not know where you are in your life. But let me tell you something today. Simply, it's not complicated. It's a simple choice. Acknowledge you're in need of a savior. Acknowledge you're a sinner. And repent And choose to believe on Jesus Christ. Life is going to be hard after you get saved. No matter what it's going to be hard. But in those times of heartache. In those times of pain after you get saved. You're going to have someone to run to. Besides the world. Because before you come to Christ. All you have mainly to run to. Is either your family, friends. Those are great. But you need someone in your heart. You need someone to fill that spot. And that spot that needs filled. Can only be filled by God. Now I'm asking you a simple choice. You have a simple choice. It's reject or receive. It's not complicated. It's simple. The Bible says in um, John 1, I believe it's John 1, 12. But as many as received him, Christ, to them gave he power to become the sons of God, even to them that believe on his name. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. Jesus is the only way to heaven. There is no other way. There is no other option. It's simply through him and him alone. And you have two simple choices. Receive and reject. The choice you make tonight will determine where you are when you die. You have a choice. Christ did the work. He did what he came to do. He died. He was buried. And he rose again. And like Michael said, he's coming back soon. You don't have forever. Just today, simply call upon his name. The Bible says, for whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Someone once said, I've never known a man who has received Christ and ever regretted it. And neither have I. You will not regret it. You will have someone in your pain and in your suffering to run to when you get saved. Now, Jesus Christ is Lord. He's the only way to heaven. And I pray you come to the truth. You come to a moment where you believe on him as Nicodemus did. And I pray you come to that tonight. TJ, would you come and preach for us?
6: Alrighty, turn turn with me to Second Maccabees chapter 12. I'm kidding, I'm kidding, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. Those of you who got that, you got that. Those of you who don't, we know you're Baptist, amen. Pastor, I'm joking. Alrighty, but for, for real now, for real now, um, turn with me to John chapter 11. So I was given 10 minutes, so I'm going to keep this really short. Um, I'm TJ, by the way. You're going to know me as the last guy that preached, amen. Um. Let's see if I can find it. Alrighty, so we're, um, my passage today is going to be when Jesus wept, okay? So it's, we're going to start John 11, verse number 1. Now a certain man was sick, named Lazarus of Bethany, the town of Mary and her sister Martha. It was that, Martha, er, that Mary which anoint, er, anointed the Lord with ointment and wiped his feet with her hair, whose brother Lazarus was sick. Therefore, his sister sent unto him, saying, "Lord, behold he whom thou lovest is sick and Jesus heard that he said, This sickness is not unto death, but for the glory of God, that the Son of God might be glorified thereby." Now Jesus loved Martha and her sister er, and her sister and Lazarus when he had heard these Therefore, that he was sick, he abode two days still in that same place where he was. Now turn with, or now flip to the next page if you have a Bible like mine. I guess um, we're going to skip to verse number thirty-two for the sake of time. Um, then when, or verse number thirty-two. Then when Mary was come where Jesus was and saw him, she fell down at his feet, saying, "Lord, if thou hadst been here, my brother had not died." When Jesus therefore saw her weeping. And the Jews also weeping, which came with her. He groaned in his spirit and was troubled and said, where have ye laid them? Or where have ye laid him? They said unto the Lord, come and see. Jesus wept. Alrighty, so if you know the story right now, basically Jesus was doing his ministry or whatever. um, When he heard word that one of his friends, Lazarus, had fallen ill. Um, after a few days, Jesus made, or Jesus, being omnipotent, all, all-knowing, all-knowing, knew that Lazarus had died. He made his way towards that place where his friend had died. When he had gotten there, it had been four days since Lazarus had been dead. His sisters were broken, devastated, and were thinking, um, why wasn't Jesus here? Well, you see, um, if you know the story, Jesus goes on to raise him from the dead. But we're going to stick with the verse number 35 Where Jesus wept. We're gonna see what that means, okay, or what that can mean to us through God's word. It said, um, "Now let's look exactly what that shows us." Okay, Um, number one, when Jesus wept, it shows us his humanity. Um, He was a hundred percent man, not just in the sense that he was human, that he had a body, he had emotions, he had temptations like us, but he overcame them. You see. he, had, or he knew that his friend had died several days prior, prior to his arrival at the grave. Um, he was heading to his grave, literally to raise him from the dead, to show his glory. He knew where his friend's soul was. He knew that in a short time his friend would be among the living. Yet here he is, weeping over the death of a friend, sobbing tears over one that he had loved. You can see the humanity of Christ, okay? Um, you can see it in his tears, in the tears of the Lord for a friend of this earth. That, has a, that he had a personal connection with. Jesus was on his way to show his deity. To show that he was God. And in doing so, showed equally his humanity. Secondly, it shows his love. In verse number 5 of John 11, it says, Now Jesus loved Martha and her sister Lazarus. And then in verse number 35 and 36, it said, Jesus wept. Then said the Jews, behold how he loved them. You see, that shows us something right there. It shows um, that Christ truly does care. It shows how deep his love is, or really is. It shows that Christ had a genuine love for sinners and for the people of the earth. He wasn't just there to save them. He was there to love them. And how, why would he love, or why would he save them unless he loved them? You see, it can show how he can deliver us, okay? Um, Nothing can separate us from the love of the Lord Jesus Christ. You don't have to turn with me, but Romans 9, I mean Romans 8, um, verse number 38 and 39 says, For I am persuaded that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor any other creature shall be able to separate us from the love of God which is in Christ Jesus. You see, the love of Christ was unconditional. The love of Christ was beautiful. The love of Christ was moving. And then you can see, how number three, how he can deliver us. You see, we've all suffered loss in this life. We all know the pain. And at times it can be unbearable. Just know that the God of the universe knows that pain. God, Christ, suffered betrayal. Loss, backstab. He suffered true anguish. He can relate to your pain. He also knows grace and mercy and love. For God is love. He bore the pain that you could, or more pain than you could ever imagine, out of love for you and for me. The Bible says in Psalms thirty four seventeen, the righteous cry and the Lord heareth and delivereth them out of their troubles. You can go to the Lord. You can bring your pain and he will answer it with compassion. You see, in the passage, when Mary, the sister of Lazarus, saw Jesus or went to Jesus for healing, um, thinking or telling him that, or knowing that Jesus could heal her brother. But when Jesus wasn't there for the four days and he had died, she started to lose faith. And in verse number 32 um, in verse number 32, you could hear her broken pleading. Not thirty-two. She wasn't pleading that. Um, sorry. Yeah, in verse number thirty-two, it says, "Then Mary was coming to where Jesus was and saw him, and she fell down at his feet, saying, 'Lord, if thou had been there, my brother would not have died.'" You could see her losing faith, grasping on to all that she had left in her. Her brother, her beloved brother, had been killed—or not really killed. She'd believe him and killed because if Jesus had been there, that he could have lived. But you see, Jesus replies to her lack of faith with compassion. Because later on in that passage, Jesus raises, him from, or raises her brother from the dead. You see, he can bring you out of your pain. You see, you can see how she was broken. You can see how she was down, fell down at Jesus' feet. But, and Jesus answered with mercy and with grace. You know, we can do the same thing. If we come to Jesus broken... He will, he can, and will show you grace as you come, or as you come to Christ in pain, in your loss. You can feel comfort knowing that Jesus had felt that pain and had wept tears of sorrow and bore the cross for you. Now the question is, will you come to Him?